Hi, Nexters. I'm your host, Khan Panar, and you're listening to Next Topic, a podcast where we discuss tomorrow, today. Since the beginning of this season, we've made it our mission to feature incredible voices trying to guide the world through this crisis. For this episode, we're bringing you an honest account of the pandemic through the eyes of an emergency medicine doctor whose words are as inspiring as the heroic work he's carrying out every day in the front lines. Join us as we learn about what the fight against COVID-19 means for a doctor, as well as a hospital, from the Interim Chief Medical Officer for COVID-19 at Amida Health St. Joseph Medical Center, Joliet. Here is Dr. Adnan Hussein. Thanks, everyone, and thanks for the opportunity to be able to share um, some of the things that we're doing to uh, respond to COVID-19 um, in the emergency departments and hospitals, as well as the um, Chicagoland area specifically. And so I'll get my slides up in a moment, um, but just to give you an overview of some of the things that I'll talk about, um, I think the timeline of how COVID-19 has affected um, us in, in, in really the rapid transformation which has occurred in our hospitals and our emergency departments um, is important to gain an understanding of the number of operational changes that have occurred um, in hospitals. Um, from there, um, I'll give a bit of a preview of some of the things that we've actually done to change how we take care of patients when they come to the hospital. Um, and then we'll take questions at the end. And so um, without further ado, we'll get started here. I believe you guys can see the PowerPoint presentation now. And so in terms of the timeline, December 31st was when the first it was first realized that there were dozens of cases of pneumonia in Wuhan, China. And then about a week later at that time, it was identified to be a new coronavirus. And from a medical standpoint, um, it's important to know that coronaviruses are a class of viruses, and many of them are what cause the common cold, but this was a new type of coronavirus, which was causing the pneumonia, which is being seen in Wuhan. And so the first case of COVID-19 was identified uh, in January 21st in the U.S., and I work in the Amida system, which is a health system in the Chicagoland area. And in the U.S., the second and the sixth cases um, were in the Amida system. Um, for us in particular, that ended up being important because it laid uh, an early groundwork for the response and preparation to uh, COVID-19. And so at that time, um, it was important because those patients who had come in January were directly traceable contacts from Wuhan, China. And the mechanism of spread at that time was person to person, but um, it, the mindset at that time was still that um, this was mostly contained to Wuhan, and that if we could isolate and contact trace, that we would be potentially able to stop the spread of the virus. And so moving forward, um, February 26th was when the first case in the U.S. was announced, where there was no clear source of exposure. And that is really important because that is a fundamental change in the way that the virus spreads. And you may have heard from the media reports this, this term of community spread. And that is when you or one would expect a really very rapid spread of 
virus um, in the way that there's a flu season every year or a common cold might spread as well. And I think that was the point at which um, a lot of eyebrows started being raised of really the potential of spread within the U.S. And so fast forward just a few days to February 29th, um, that was when the first um, case of community spread was um, identified in Illinois, and that was the first death of a person from COVID-19 in the U.S. I remember that date vividly because um, on that Saturday night, um, my health system was having a gala. And um, at that time, that day, when there was an identified case of community spread in Illinois, um, I think there were a lot of um, nerves and kind of quiet conversation of what that might represent and what might be coming down the line. And so then moving forward, uh, on March 11th, the World Health Organization had declared that the coronavirus outbreak could be characterized as a pandemic. And just two days later in the U.S., uh, President Trump then declared a state of emergency, uh, releasing a significant amount of funds to help to fight the pandemic. Um, that was also the day that in my hospital, we started something called ED forward triage. Um, I felt a, a really kind of anxiety or, or worry of what was coming. And um, I felt like we needed to respond and start doing things um, differently in the hospital. And so the concept of ED forward triage is, is really to start taking care of patients outside the walls of the hospital where it's possible um, as that really reduces the exposure for both um, patients and clinicians. And so then moving forward, uh, you can see two dates here, March 17th and then April 21st, um, Medical Executive Committee is a meeting in the hospital of all of the chairs of the various departments, such as internal medicine, surgery, the emergency department, um, so on and so forth. And um, on that date, um, that was uh, locally what served as a really kind of inflection point um, with regards to organization amongst the various departments and physicians in my hospital. And at the end of that meeting on March 17th, um, there was a lot of discussion on a lot of topics about COVID-19, but, but there was so much that um, at, the, at the end of it, the, the ask was pretty simple, and, and, and it was really to communicate and to figure out how we can communicate better, knowing that this was going to be a period of really very rapid change um, across the world, across the country, and in within our hospital as well. And so there's listed there a couple ways that we began organizing communication between um, various kind of group chats, emails, um, updates, and, and then structuring of our communications into subcommittees as well. And then, you know, one month later, um, really uh, quite proud to say there's, there was a large transformation which, which occurred. And so it's important, I think, um, to address a couple of big topics, especially in a time like this. Um, in one month, you know, the, the first thing is to, to have a vision. Um, and so the, the big picture ideas were to prevent the spread of disease through public health measures, as well as protect the healthcare workers, because by protecting healthcare workers, that then um, enables healthcare workers in turn to save the lives of the community that they serve. Um, and so to dive into that a bit more, um, from a public health standpoint, um, the messaging at first was to avoid the hospital unless one was truly ill and um, you know, having difficulty breathing or chest pain and other kinds of symptoms that really might be worrisome. 
um, the cornerstones of treatment uh, still continue to be infection control. But um, this is really important from a public health standpoint because this is also what helps to minimize the spread of disease. And so within the ED, I had mentioned that uh, when somebody comes to the emergency department, um, where possible, we actually try to treat them outside because it reduces transmission of the virus. When patients are admitted to the hospital, um, we've got COVID-dedicated units. Um, we've got a very strict visitor policy now as well for that same reason. Then we've got universal masking where um, everybody who's in the medical center um, is wearing masks at all times. Um, the last thing is that uh, everything which would be elective was canceled to minimize the spread of asymptomatic carriers through clinics as well as hospitals. Now, within the realm of hospital care, the basic operations in all parts of the hospital have been essentially transformed. So there's COVID-specific processes and things um, for a physician or a nurse or respiratory therapist, something as simple as giving um, a, a nebulized uh, treatment for something like asthma has now changed because it creates um, something called an aerosol where um, the, the coronavirus is normally spread mostly through droplets, but it can go into the air, which increases the risk of transmission. Um, there's a variety of other kind of creative ideas that were implemented as well with regards to operational redesign um, within the hospital. And so I promise this is the most uh, text-intensive slide, but this really, uh, the idea is to serve to show um, how much was done in how many different domains, um, again, within the hospital. And so PPE has been a huge focus, um, both at the worldwide level, as well as uh, all the way through the local level. And um, that will continue to be a big focus because that is the way in which um, healthcare workers are protected. And then again, able to, to take care of the community and the patients that we serve. Um, testing, again, very big headline. And um, the bullet points there under COVID-19 are the various kinds of tests that we've gone through, again, in this short time. Um, within treatment, this has been something where the pendulum has swung in a lot of different ways. And there's all kinds of experimental treatments which are still occurring um, to try to find ways to battle this virus. Um, surge planning. We, we have had a number of cluster outbreaks um, in our area as well from um, a state prison, from local nursing homes. Um, as part of the surge planning, um, we've talked about cross-credentialing where doctors would be able to go um, to different hospitals in the area and start working um, outside the areas of the hospital that they would traditionally work in. Um, we started talking about what to do in case we ran out of mechanical ventilators and then transferring within the health system as well to better load balance um, patients that would be arriving. Um, structuring, there's a couple of headlines here. Um, we really built out a, a much more robust telehealth infrastructure, um, really to reduce exposure in the first place. And then, of course, PPE is important. And then ethical guidance ahead of time with how to proceed in times of scarcity so that frontline clinicians don't need to make those very challenging decisions on their own. The, the last thing, uh, lots of jokes about this, but uh, with a very intensive time and organization come, unfortunately, lots and lots of meetings and um, most healthcare providers go into healthcare because they don't like meetings. And so that has been a bit of a pain point, but of course, very necessary. And so a few things with regards to philosophy of how to proceed in these times of rapid change. Um, you know, with regards to a vision, 
it sounds really basic, but it's important to have one. We laid out kind of the public health principles and protection of healthcare worker strategies uh, on the previous slide, uh, but also creating a roadmap of what to do from start to finish, from the time that a patient comes into the hospital all the way through discharge. Um, it's important to create uh, process and control how time is being leveraged. And so specifically, um, meetings. That's a huge, huge thing because one can spend all day in meetings. And while it's important to stay coordinated, ensuring that there's time to actually get things done and operationalize the, the changes that are occurring is also hugely important. Um, the point about deliverables um, is, is really a, a communication touch basis um, daily in a variety of domains because that ensures that our various projects are moving forward. Um, where possible, it's important to you know, inform our decisions with data. This has been really tricky with COVID-19, though, because the, the data and the information is changing um, daily, if not hourly. And traditionally in healthcare and medicine, um, things move really slowly and methodically. But um, this has been a really unique or new time where the approaches have, have changed because of the, the speed and the rapidity in really the short time frame in which this virus has even existed. Um, with with the communication, you know, explaining how decisions are being made so that you understand why is really important because there's because of the rapidly changing data. And the most important, I think, example of that is this uh, hydroxychloroquine or, or plaquenil plus azithromycin, which was commonly called the COVID cocktail. You know, at the beginning, this was uh, hailed as this life saving treatment, and then um, you know, within a month, it was blamed for potentially causing. Um, you know, life-threatening arrhythmias. And so you can see how the pendulum can swing really quickly um, as the data is changing. And so where are we now and then where are we going to be in the weeks and months ahead? Um, so we've got a couple of things already in place. Um, you know, we've got operations uh, from the point that a patient comes into the hospital all the way through discharge. And we created something called Code Rocky, where when a patient is discharged, the, the Rocky theme song uh, from the movie Rocky is played to celebrate um, the recovery of patients from COVID-19. That has served to really rally the medical center to celebrate and acknowledge and realize that patients are getting better, they are going home, and we will get through this together. Um, we talked about a surge plan earlier, as well as organizing within um, the medical center across the state, across the region. Um, and then using resources at a broader level in, in the system, resources from, um, in my case, Amita. Perhaps most importantly, though, the mindset of healthcare workers in the morale um, is, has really come a long way. Um, at the beginning, there, were, there was a lot of nervous energy. Um, people did not know quite what to expect. Um, we knew that this was going to be a pandemic and a really big deal, but no one really knows what that means. How many lives are going to be lost? Uh, you know, how at risk am I as a healthcare worker? What's going to happen to me? And it's really important to to turn that nervous energy into productive energy. And um, I think that that really has has happened in the past four to six weeks, where um, people feel like the basic operations have been set. And, and again, transforming that nervous energy into productive energy is happening in a, in a healthy fashion. But there are still a lot of challenges um, while you know, testing has gotten better. Um, ideally, we really would be able to do population-based testing to be able to understand the spread of the disease. Um, getting patients discharged from the hospital also continues to be a challenge. Um, when a patient is diagnosed with COVID-19, there's oftentimes not a lot of options in terms of putting them in a place like a nursing home. Um, economics, you know, of course, there's there's a huge 
economic impact, not only across the economy, but um, the hospitals, the health systems, all the clinicians are actually losing money, which is very counterintuitive because um, healthcare is unfortunately still very volume driven and volumes have gone down. Um, from the last part is secondary impacts. And so um, when care is delayed from cancellation of elective surgeries, um, it might not be the same as, let's say, somebody who gets a gunshot wound to the heart, but you know maybe um, that illness, which is kind of creeping up and needs treatment, has been delayed and gets worse. And so um, you know, in the weeks and the months ahead, those are things which we are looking to address. So we know that as we've been able to flatten the curve, thankfully, um, this is a marathon, not a sprint, and we'll slowly be able to reincorporate some of the normal operations, such as doing procedures for patients that need them. Um, you know, we're knocking on wood, of course, that um, we're able to have an economic recovery in, um, in an expedited fashion or as quickly as possible. And then there surely is to be a new normal, but I think nobody really knows quite what that's going to look like. And so in terms of uh, what's going to be the case after COVID, we know that there's some components of the new normal that will be for sure. Um, telehealth is definitely here to stay. I think um, that was something which was already being built up, but in a lot of ways, the pandemic has forced um, us to adopt that as a safety strategy for patients and for clinicians. Um, in addition, I think we've seen a huge and renewed respect for healthcare professions. Um, in the Chicagoland area at 8 p.m., um, there is a, is a citywide uh, celebration and clap for uh, the healthcare workers that uh, are, are either leaving shift or going into their shifts. Um, there's also been a lot more focus on the social and behavioral health, um, as a lot of individuals are unfortunately turning to substances and alcohol to cope with, um, with, with the COVID-19 disease. So overall, I think the most important thing is that you know, through this battle, um, we have become stronger, and it, it's very important that this persists. Um, our healthcare system is stronger, um, our country is stronger, and our world will be stronger um, on the other end of this. Uh, this pandemic has resulted in a lot of positives. So there's a huge amount of engagement at the hospital. Um, we're more organized, we're embracing technology in a way that never has been the case. It has forced creative thinking in a lot of ways. Um, we've built out a telehealth infrastructure. And then the, the final thing, and for the purpose of time, I'll, I won't click the link here. Um, perhaps we can put that into the, the chat box or the, or the notes, but it is a humanity. And that link has uh, what I found to be a very moving video of a patient being discharged from the hospital and the rallying that um, came behind that patient being discharged and the celebration and the emotions and the tears. And I found that to be very moving. And so... These are a couple photos of my team members, which um, I'm so grateful to to, to have, and um, I'm so proud of the transformation that has occurred and, and the agility and nimbleness with which everybody has navigated the change. Um, but I have to say, again, you know, overall, it's a huge thank you. Um, this has been a really challenging time um, for, for everyone, and in particular for healthcare workers, and um, a lot of good has come of it. I think um, we'll see how long this ends up lasting in terms of the curves. But again, we will be stronger and it's important that that persists.